comes to your own brand, if you're not outwardly trying to help all of your friends to the left and right of you, you know, your brothers to your left and right of you, your reputation is starting to get tarnished from training immediately. Those types of folks go away easily because you need the team to keep going forward day after day. So it's one of those really small but super critical points. And that's why I loved it when Chris brought it to the table for everyone, because yes, your brand is you, but not necessarily just you, but the people around you and your team as well. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Today, this special episode, joining me as my guests are Chris Anthony and Robert Muller. Chris is Vice President of U.S. Consumer Goods at Salesforce. Robert is a former U.S. Navy SEAL and Director of Military Team Sales at Whoop. And I don't think I had to say it like Whoop, but you just have to say it like that. And Chris and Robert are both involved with the SEAL Future Foundation. Now, this is an organization that's dedicated to helping these highly trained special forces operators successfully and confidently make the transition into the civilian workforce and into sales in particular. I know, I know you'd like to think that these individuals that could confidently operate on top secret missions and dangerous situations with their lives on the line could confidently stride into the civilian world. Well, as you'll learn, it's not quite that simple or easy. And so you want to listen today as Robert shares his story about making this transition. And we'll also get into Chris's top five traits of top performers. Now, this is based on a presentation he made to the SEALs at the SEAL Future Foundation that shows and really reassures veterans that the traits that made them so worthy to be SEALs and successful SEALs are the same traits that businesses are looking for. We'll also get into a sort of interesting quirk about why business owners and managers are sort of reluctant to interview and hire former SEALs and maybe what you can do to help change that. Now, personally, I, I don't think our country does near enough for the men and women who have served our country to help them return to civilian life and organizations like the SEALs Future Foundation step up to fill that gap. And we're going to get into that as well. But before we get to Robert and Chris, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. You could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thanks. Let's jump into it. Chris and Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're so happy to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us, Andy. Oh, pleasure. So, I'll uh, we'll start with you, Robert. Where are you joining us from today? Joining you from right outside of D.C. on the Maryland side. So, uh, it's nice and humid and hot here. So, it's, it's <laughs> you know, I, I can't complain because it's 90 degrees and 100% humidity. See, I would complain about that myself. <laughs> yeah, I could, but no one's going to listen. So, <laughs> yeah. let's be honest. As a Californian, yeah, I was out like on my balcony in my building this morning and I had to put a fleece on because, you know, the cool breeze was coming in <laughs> off the ocean. So uh, yeah. that's, to me, that's that's summer. And Chris, you're in the L.A. area, right? I am in the L.A. area, specifically Redondo Beach. And uh, I'm right there with you on the moderate weather, mm-hmm. cool in the morning, warm in the afternoon, and jack it back on in the early evening, late evening. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Not trying to rub it in. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, we're not trying to make you feel bad or feel left out. But yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I don't feel bad for either of you because you have to put your jackets on in the evening. So, uh, yeah, no okay. sympathy on this end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a tough life. So, um, so Robert, I'll start with you. Is is um, 
So how old were you when you first thought, hmm, maybe I want to be a Navy SEAL? Wow. Uh, I actually was eight years old. I remember the moment and the second it actually happened. And um, the reason I, I remember this is because I read a book and the book was Brave Men, Dark Waters by Orr Kelly. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's the first book that I actually read from page, you know, page one to, you know, page 231 or whatever it is. And it's also the first book my mother actually saw me read. And um, I remember I, I put it down. I finished it. It was right right before dinner was ready. It was probably about a five thirty six o'clock there in New Jersey. And I, I, I shut it and I looked at my mother and I said, I figured out what I want to do. And that was it. And so what was it that you read that, that you know, inspired you? Brave Men Dark Waters was about Vietnam era Navy SEALs conducting covert operations in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it was the first thing that I read that sounded just so cool to me. And I actually got it because uh, I was a junior lifeguard working at the YMCA in New Jersey. And a SEAL actually came in to the pool, met me. I asked him, I mustered up enough courage to ask this guy, huge guy, you know, when I was young, sure. six foot, full of muscles. Uh, hey, I, and I said, excuse me, where do you swim? I thought he was a collegiate swimmer. He said, I'm not a swimmer. I'm a Navy SEAL. I never saw him ever again. But he did send me the book to the YMCA. And huh. that's why I became a SEAL, because I met a guy randomly lifeguarding. He Do you remember his me, name? I, I don't. I don't know who he is, and I've looked for him since. And I, and I just to thank him, because that created the path that I'm on now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a TV show, right? <laughs> this mysterious stranger shows up, <laughs> you interact with him, and gives you a gift that, that dictates the course of your life. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what happened. And, um, you know, from that point forward, I I was a chubby kid with a learning disability and a bunch of other stuff. And I told people from that moment forward, I'm going to do this. And uh, along the way, I encountered a lot of people that naysayed and whatnot, but eventually I got to where I wanted to be. So what was that path? Because you went to college first before joining the Navy. I did. I, uh, I was in a weird spot. And again, not to go back to going, bringing everybody back to Jersey, but um, hey, why not? The, yeah, exactly. That's where my my sales career actually started. Um, when I was transitioning, I think it was my sophomore year. Let me back up. It was my sophomore year. And um, I actually got fired from my job. Uh, I was a lifeguard. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. And mm-hmm. uh, I got fired because um, I wouldn't throw certain people out of a pool because I, I felt it was morally wrong not to get into it. Right. Uh, and then I actually started selling vacuums. Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. <laughs> and that I love it. And, and anybody that's been a salesman door knocking knows that you learn real quickly what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And and um that's what I did for that summer. I got into sales that way, and that was the summer right before 9-11. And once uh 9-11 happened there in September, I, I was in school going to New Jersey and and I was going to leave, I was leaving work and I was gonna go enlist. And that's was my path. That's this is it. This is my calling. I knew I was going to be a seal, uh, and take it from there. Uh, and I, you guys were around then, and all the de- yeah. you know all the boards were were jammed, especially on the East Coast. My mother right. called me on my Cosierra analog cell phone and just <sighs> gave me the advice that mothers usually give. And she simply said, "Bobby, listen, the wars are not going to go anywhere. Finish school, and you can go in the Navy after that." And I turned around. I was literally probably five, six blocks away from the Trenton recruiter. I turned around and finished school. And then I enlisted 
after I graduated college in 2003. Wow. So as an enlisted person in the Navy then, is you went in with the intention of becoming a SEAL or it's, it's I mean, how does that process work? I mean, did they identify you as you know, high potential individual or, or tell us a little bit about that? Well, I think the process is different now and I can only speak for it back then, but you were able to sign or tell the recruiters that you wanted to do, you know, some type of special operations. So whether that was uh, explosive ordnance disposal or seal, it just depended on what you wanted to do. Now, this was great for the recruiters because you had a bunch of, you know, young men coming in saying, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was before all the silly books and movies and, and all that stuff that uh, is, is around now. Um, so it made their job pretty easy. They said, all right, great kid. You don't even have to pick a, a designation, meaning what is your job going to be when you maybe do not make it through BUDS? Uh, they just kind of skipped all that. And then if you ended up washing out of the program, you were in the Navy as undesignated. And if anybody knows what that means, it pretty much means you're chipping paint on a, on a, on a ship somewhere 24-7. It's just not a good deal. <laughs> so you use the, the acronym BUD. So that is the, the, the training course for becoming a naval That's SEAL. That's correct. Right. Yeah. Basic underwater demolition SEAL training is uh, out there in California in that nice weather that you guys are enjoying right now. Well, I'm, I, if I turn my head to the right, I'm actually looking at Coronado Island. So, yeah, <laughs> where you spent uh, some time. Uh, some time and a lot of great memories there, but a lot of hard ones uh, at that, to say the least. Yeah, and so you mentioned sort of silly books and movies. Does this mean sort of glorifying it in an unrealistic fashion? Is that well? I'll, I'll say this. You know, I, I'm I am who I am, and and um, this is I think that a, a topic that every seal wrestles with because. I don't like to promote the fact that I was a SEAL, nor do I rest on my laurels of, of being one. And, you know, the, a lot of lessons learned from that environment translates into, you know, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but it is one of those things where, yeah, I, I can't have a 15-year gap in my resume. So at points, I know I have to talk about it. But it is one of those things where I think a lot of uh, different individuals out there rests on their past accomplishments of what they right. did as a SEAL. And, um, you know, I think it's great to, to, to be one and, and have been one, but there's just more to life to the just having a trident. Right. Yeah, I, I um, was accrued to become VP of sales at a company actually here in San Diego. And right. at the end of the 80s, and yeah, one of my sales guys was, I don't know, I worked for him with him for <laughs> two and a half years before I found right. out. Yeah, he had been a SEAL, Vietnam-era SEAL. Um, yeah, it just never came up. Yeah, and, and it's just one of those things where it's... Um, it's Some guys look at it differently, and that's okay. You know, and I think it's any, any, any vertical, whether it's sales, military, you know, anybody can pound their chest about their accomplishments, but, um, you know, the humble ones and the quiet mm -hmm. ones are the ones that you got to be careful about. That's right, that's mm -hmm. right. So you and Chris met through this foundation, the SEALs Future Foundation. I mean, how did how'd you guys meet up on that? Well, Chris, I'll let you take this because you, you definitely tell the story a lot better than I do. I sound like your wife right now. Not that I'm <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so much nicer, though. I appreciate that. Um, and, and more patient. Wait, I was going to say, is that your current wife? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, it's my, it's, it's, it is my current wife. Uh, I, by the way, I, and I definitely answered the question how we um, found each other and, and found the foundation. Um, but it, it is interesting to hear what 
you know, Robert was talking about the idea of just knowing at an early age and, and one of the gifts of being involved with the Seal Future Foundation myself. And I look very much through the business side of mm-hmm. uh, having been in business my whole career and specifically sales for close to 25 years is uh, I've worked with, gosh, I think it's creeping up on like 30 uh, transitioning team guys now. It's just insane. But that that same story, that same question that you asked, Robert, you know, this idea of knowing is such a consistent theme. And I, I find it fascinating because every single individual I work with, they just knew. They knew at some point that they were going to go down that path and they were going to get there and they were going to give it their all to get there. And I, I just, I always love hearing that. Um, I will say on the flip side, uh, I don't know exactly when I was going to get into sales. But, and I definitely yeah, probably, probably, probably a month after you're in it, I imagine, if you're like most people. <laughs> right. And I definitely wasn't on my dad's knee and he's like, you're going to go into sales. Uh, no, no. But uh, here I am and I can't think of a, a better profession. It's been absolutely fantastic. And, and so one of the gifts of that has been having the opportunity to be in a position where uh, I can teach what I know and share my knowledge from my career. Mm-hmm which I've had a lot of fun with, um, lots of challenges and lots of learnings along the way. But there was an opportunity where I was uh, about a year ago looking to reset myself, rethink uh, my health and just be a better me all around. And so I wrote a plan. And uh, in that plan, uh, I said, I need to focus on my health and I need to focus on my uh, exercise. I need to focus on sleep. I was a very short sleeper. Mm-hmm. And I promise to still tie back to the foundation. Uh, but one of the devices that I found uh, that was a good way of tracking your health and your sleep and helping you be smarter about the data of you was this device called Whoop. And mm-hmm. uh, anybody can look it up anytime and it's a crazy name, but come to find out it can tell you so much about your sleep and your recovery and how hard you exert yourself. And I, I went all in on it and it's it's been life-changing. Well, I listened to the podcasts that Whoop puts out and they're fantastic, but I happened to listen one day and Robert was on there and he was talking about a big challenge he was going to do and his, his, his background and, and, you know, he was going to do this fundraising challenge and he also just happened to to work for whoop and he was going to do it with some former, um, seals and one existing one, I think too. Right, Robert. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and so I was like, dang, that's a, that's a really cool story. And at the end of the podcast, they said, Hey, and if you want to help out the seal future foundation, which is very much focused on helping, um, transitioning members of the Navy seal community move into the civilian world, Mm -hmm. uh, reach out. And so I did, I just, that same day, I think I was getting, I'd listened to the podcast on an airplane and I reached out on a website and, uh, next thing you know, I'm working with a handful of guys and met Mo along the way or Robert along the way. And, and that led us to, to this conversation today. So hope that provides some context. Yeah, no, great. So taking a step further then is, is you had recently given a presentation, um, about the top five traits of top performers. Mm-hmm. I believe you, you presented it to the, the foundation members. Um, what was sort of the genesis of that presentation? Another gift of being in my profession for, for 25 years is the chance to work with absolutely exceptional professionals, top performers that are like no other. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the best of the best. I've seen the worst, seen everything in between. But I started thinking about, as I started to get involved with the SEAL Future Foundation, I started thinking about SEAL culture, what I thought I understood about SEAL culture. And Mm -hmm. I was having a lot of conversation with these guys. And, you know, there's a lot of unknown going from a very structured military community 
And SEALs are very focused, and Robert, you please correct me right away if I get anything wrong here, but SEALs are very focused on success, and they manage ambiguity really, really well. Um, But, you know, the idea of moving from what is known and understood in a military career into a business career sometimes can seem really ambiguous. Like, how can the skills that I have acquired and excelled at in in the teams be applicable to business? And I started thinking about a presentation that I give internally at my company, and I've given several times about the top five traits of top performers. And I thought, wow, if I look at those top five traits, and then I compare it to what Navy SEALs are known for and what they excel at, they're almost perfectly aligned. Yeah. And so I used it as a way to guide some of the individuals I was working with to do a compare and contrast. And I would give them the example of each of the traits and say, can you relate to this? Is this something that you've accomplished in your career in the military? And they'd be like, well, yeah, absolutely. We did. And and so I found it that it was a great framework for helping build confidence, but also just to align already existing skills, not only for the transitioning uh, SEALs, but also for business owners that are looking to potentially hire these guys. Well, that framework turned into a much larger conversation that Robert and I started talking about. We, we thought, well, let's use this for the foundation as a means to educate everybody so that as they're helping the guys make this transition, they can use this framework as a template for helping them understand how to translate skills. Got it. Well, we're, we're going to go through these, these five traits. But I, th- I thought the thing that was interesting about the presentation at sort of a top level was, and yeah, maybe it, it struck me for reasons you sort of just talked about, is that it was primarily you're presenting the challenge of, of one of being of confidence. And it's so interesting is, is you know, our perception, Robert, of SEALs is, is extremely confident people, right? Um, Absolutely. And so perhaps, you know, some of the most confident, confident people in the world. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. As, you know, as we make this transition, one of their biggest challenges is one of confidence, yeah, and if you pull that apart a little bit, and and I'll do that, you know, to preframe, you know, the these five different pieces, if you will, is to give you just an example, and I'm sure Chris can can back this up from you know the number of seals that he's worked with now. It, it's one of those things where when I was transitioning out of the Navy, you know, my threshold or what I'm used to is you know jumping out of airplanes scuba diving, mm-hmm. shooting guns, all those things. Now, that's my normal. That is my everyday normal day job. However, you put me in an environment in a boardroom where I have to put on a suit and, you know, uh interact with people in ways that I'm just not trained to do. It is probably the scariest thing that a seal can think about. Now, to take that even further, when you're transitioning out and you have to go on your first interview, you know, I was 35 years old and my, mm-hmm. my, my resume was made out of crayon at best and, <laughs> and, and I didn't even know how to tie a tie. And it was one of those things where I was so scared to go on an interview and I, would, I told people in my first interview, I said, I would rather be in a firefight right now overseas than actually be sitting here talking to you because that's how nervous I was. And what do you think that was from? Is that sort of lack, lack of preparation for the situation? Well, I think, I think when you sit down with somebody like yourself or Chris and they break it down for you and they're like, listen, man, your threshold is jumping out of an airplane at night at 35,000 feet blacked out and you're going to go do things that nobody will ever know about. And now you're about to walk into 
I don't know, pick a company, Whoop, Salesforce, whoever mm-hmm. it may be, and just sit down and have a conversation with a man or, or a woman that puts their pants on just like everybody else, you're going to be fine. You just don't look at it that way because you don't know, you know about the unknown until you actually live it and do it. So I think with a little bit of coaching and a little bit of you know, massaging, I think most guys get through it, but it is very scary if you walk into it without any experience. Yeah. Well, the other part of that that was in the presentation is talking about giving business people, business owners and senior leadership and so on, the confidence to to hire. Yes. And yes. It's, say it's, you know, former SEALs, and it's like, or anybody in a similar, from a similar background, it's like, why is that? I would think that for reasons Chris laid out before is for me, it's like, wow, they've got, you know, the baseline traits that you look for right. just as a human being for someone. Right. I mean, I want to, I, when I interview, I always want to start with who's the human and then I'll worry about the skills afterwards. Right. Well, I think for, for the veteran community as a whole, not just seals, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, baggage that comes along with that title veteran, you know, and, and whether that's, you know, oh, this veteran might snap and he has, or she has PTSD or, um, you know, it just has issues from war and just some of the stuff that is portrayed, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's through the media or different TV shows, I think a lot of employers don't know how to have a successful transition, you know, period when they bring mm-hmm. a veteran into their communities or into their workplace, because, you know, think about it. An, an associate or a brand new person comes in as a civilian and it's like, all right, here's your introduction, maybe a week or two weeks or maybe, you know, four weeks at best and get to work. Yeah. Yeah. Or in sales, yeah, you get a 90 day right. onboarding program. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's, well, that's yeah. right. It's, it's not enough. That's one of the things I oftentimes rant about on this program. It's like, sure. <laughs> it's sure. like we, talk, we talked about it. Last <laughs> we time talked, we right. right. Sure. It's just like, yeah, everybody's a human. Give them, you know, you can tailor this program to the people that come in if you've got the right person investing. Absolutely, them. absolutely. I think too, Andy, you're bringing up a really good point. And just to to tack on to what Robert was saying is, is that you know, from a business owner perspective, there there is a lot of times a, a misperception or misunderstanding of the you know the world that the individual is coming from, and so I, I think you know we're, we we do our best to educate business owners, but we also are trying to you know help vets or, or help these guys in particular start thinking about anticipating that conversation that you, you may need to come in with some stories, you may need to come in with some examples that you can tie back and help connect the dots on how you have negotiated something. And if we you know as we go through the five, we'll we'll, we'll share some right. of that, but. Part of it comes back to just just educating the business owner because, you know, to to Mo talked about jumping out of an airplane, blacked out in the middle of the night into territory that we'll never know or understand what went down there. But there's actually a lot that went down before that. Someone had to plan that mission. Someone had to sell that mission internally. Someone had to approve it. Someone had to train for it. Someone had to anticipate failure. So it's about education and storytelling to connect that gap often Right. From both the veteran, but also for the business hiring owner or, you know, business owner. Yeah. And, and yeah, when we get into storytelling, dive deeper, because when yeah. Robert and I spoke last week, we, I think a really interesting example of storytelling came up that I think relates so directly to sales. So we'll, we'll jump into that. So the sure. the five traits that, that you talked about were vision, strong brand, problem solving, storytelling, and gratitude. And so, Chris, I'll ask you. So, yeah, I read your presentation, so it was also one of reassurance, right? Because there is this this overlap 
you know, between what we look for or should be looking for in business versus the skills and the traits that, that people bring. But, you know, for me, it really sort of started with this idea that it's like character and values. Mm-hmm. I mean, much of what you're talking about and, you know, the brand and even the vision to some degree, it's, it's, it's who you are as a human. Yeah. And I feel like we, we don't put enough emphasis on that in the people we hire generally in sales because that informs the character and informs so much what you know follows. One hundred percent. I think that's spot on. And the the idea of looking at the, like you said, human, looking at the complete picture, looking at the role, looking at the opportunity, and helping uh, both sides of the equation, the hiring manager, but also the individual doing the interviewing, see it in its entirety becomes a different discussion. It's also differentiating in the sense that, you know, and we'll we'll talk about the traits, but you know, having, having a grip on these and being aware of what you are made up of internally and mm-hmm. how that's applicable. And I would also say more importantly, maybe what you're not made up of, right? So a self-awareness to be able to identify, hey, I'm going to need some help in this area. Mm-hmm. Business acumen might be one of them. Right. Okay, cool. I can teach you business acumen, but you've already shown commitment. You've already shown the ability to execute complex series of asks and planning. Right. So y- yes to all of that. Yeah, very interesting. All right, let's talk about the first one. So, first one, vision. Um, and these, just so people are clear, and this is this is a presentation you gave you know, to internally. You said prior to talking to the Seals Future Foundation. Yeah, the the foundation of this presentation all started with being asked at my own company, Salesforce, to come in and speak to day one employees at our company and share what I've witnessed in my career and provide you know, uh, executive welcome and make everybody try to make everybody feel good and excited about mm-hmm. the great journey they're about to start with us. And and so, you know, these are, these are very much my views, um, not that of Salesforce, uh, but a lot of this comes from Salesforce. And, and so what I would do is I would start to, to share, Hey, in my career, I've seen it all, you know, the best performers, the not so great performers and everything in between from our CEO all the way down to, you know, the, the janitor level, what, what are some of those traits that everybody has that top performers carry? And this is true across my career. And so, so that's where it started is speaking internally. But like I said, when I figured out that this was a good conduit for helping vets and, and specifically the SEAL Future Foundation, um, I, I've shared this presentation in, in many places just as a framework for discussion. It's also a great interviewing tool I found as far as when people yes. ask me, mm-hmm. hey, what do some of the best people on your teams over the years have in common? This one's it. Okay. Well, let's, That's let's start. where we start. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with vision. So um, you wrote that that for the seal is that success is dependent on a clear vision and objective, or lives will be lost. Um, it's not the stakes aren't quite as high, obviously, in <laughs> in sales, but but the lack of clear vision and objectives, I, in my opinion, is what handicaps most sellers is they don't understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. I, I could not agree more. And when you look at clearly defined outcomes that are, that are written, a vision statement mm-hmm. that are well articulated, not well understood to the individual, but even more importantly, well articulated to those around you that are going into that meeting that are trying to achieve that next big deal or that next big sale or that big successful partnership session. When that is well-defined, when that is well-communicated, well-rehearsed and then measured against and continually um, tailored for success, the outcomes are so much stronger 
then to everything you just said is this sort of variable, not well planned, not well executed. I don't know what I'm going into this meeting for. That has all kinds of downstream badness that comes with it. But when I look again at all different levels of an organization like ours and what I've witnessed over my career, top performers are really good at always having a vision of what they're going to do in the long term, but also in the short term. Hey, I'm asking you to get on a call with me. The vision, the objective of this call is X. Mm-hmm. Well, but I th- and for me, I look at it even a, a more base level than that, which is, you know, I'll be speaking to a group in public and, and salespeople and say, okay, well, what's your job? <laughs> <laughs> and so invari- invariably, the answer is always to sell something, right? To sell my, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah, because for me, for the successful people, their job is always about how do I help my buyer make a good purchase decision? And that is, you know, for me, is that's where the vision starts, right? What am I trying to do? And so I wonder how that maybe translates into the SEAL world is, is how you look at, you know, you've got specific discrete missions, but the overall vision of what you do. Right. And, and it starts from the SEAL side, you know, and it doesn't, and again, it, you can use any unit, um, sure. not any unit, but, but, you know, for, for, for what you're asking here is it's just, you know, on that clear vision, it starts with the day one minute one of when you go through the pipeline of, of becoming a SEAL. And what I mean by that is they start with the most mundane, busy tasks that they can give you because the attention to detail, and I'll say that one more time, the attention Mm -hmm. to detail is what matters. And you're doing this as a young guy that just wants to get to the next day. And they provide you with these tasks that you have to do that take hours. And it's, it's for nothing. For example, here's a paddle and I want you to dig a, a hole in the sand on the beach that's six foot that you can jump in. (laughs) <laughs> okay. What, what does that have to do with operations? Nothing. But if I'm willing to do it and I'm figuring out a way how to work with my team or do it individually, if I can handle that one task and do it well, it starts to amplify. Mm-hmm. And that's how they build on that from day one of training to now you have a 300 pound boat over your head and you need to run 20 miles with it, you know, bouncing on your head with you and your, your, your friends. The vision is to get from point A to point B. But it all starts with that small task, and it might seem like it's completely pointless, but they're always stressing attention to detail, which is a part of the vision. How am I going right. to get from point A to point B? Yeah, and I, <laughs> this is not to get sidetracked, but I mean, is this attention to detail something, Chris, over the course of your career, you've seen become more of a challenge for sellers? I think so. I mean, I I've seen so. it, and I, I'm not trying to pick on a generation thing here at all, but I think that the yeah i see it too and it it um concerns me in some level just that and i yeah you know, just a simple example is like <laughs> no one pays attention to spelling anymore we're hyper fragmented i mean we are 24/7 7 days a week our attention is dragged from one thing to the next and if an individual doesn't have discipline enough to rein it in and get focused um all kinds of downstream effects happen from that, including lack of attention to detail because they're yeah. constantly wandering to the next thing and they're not even stopping long enough to think about that. And, and, and frankly, you know, is, is most talking about these, these little um, uh, actions, the, these tasks, these, these seemingly, you know, focused on just getting to the next completion of a, a step in the process. I mean, that, 
being forced into very focused behavior, I think, and and believe that it, you know, it, it creates the ability to do that on a grander scale and thinking in terms of the team. And, and yeah, in today's society and business, we've just lost our way with being focused on, you know, at times on what the vision is if we're not careful. And so with your experience, Robert, I mean, you find that you're better able to focus perhaps than some of your peers? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's dependent and, and not, really it doesn't not to matter. Make it a loaded question, but <laughs> it is. Notice how I was political there. Um, <laughs> But let's be honest, I think with a certain experience, you know, with a certain level of experience, the same thing that required focus when you first started your career doesn't require as much focus as it does once you have, you know, 10,000 hours or, you know, a thousand reps under your belt. Mm -hmm. So I think it it varies. You know, Chris and I are in completely different uh, parts of our careers when it comes to sales. Because, you know, I did, you know, 15 years in the Navy and Chris was selling the whole time and, and, sure. and doing his whole thing. Um, but we come together so nicely because we're, we're, we're coming around to this piece, you know, right now we're just talking about vision. But it's one of those things where I don't know who could focus longer, you, myself, or Chris, on one specific task. Now, if it was jumping out of an airplane and I took the three of us up in an airplane, I wouldn't be focused at all because I've done it thousands of times. <laughs> I, right? I would be focused, yeah. <laughs> right, where you guys would be focused. You guys would be really hyper-focused, like, okay, yeah. I got to go through my emergency procedures, et cetera, et cetera. Where, I don't know, pick a, pick a scenario, I don't know, doing something that you guys have done thousands of times that I have not, I would be hyper-focused where you guys might not need to be. Yeah, well, in the airplane example, I'd be focused on my heart, not jumping on my chest. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that, that, address, that addresses some major fears for me. There you go. <laughs> Something I recommend for everybody. If you haven't done it, I definitely see. I definitely recommend jumping out uh, of those months. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I can work up for that. <laughs> um, so the second trait then was strong brand. Mm-hmm. And, and I love, Chris, what you've written there. Because I think this is so applicable across the board, as you wrote that, for SEALs, your reputation starts at the first day of training and stays with you forever. And I'm a huge believer that first impressions, I, I call them first perceptions, actually, are so, so valuable. And we don't pay enough attention to it. We, 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 we don't. And, and that one came from, I was um, working with a transitioning um, SEAL, actually the very first individual I ever worked with. And you know, we were having this conversation and and I was walking through these five things and I, it, it had started as just an example. And I said, you know, these are the five things that I, I've seen in my career. And we were talking about brand. And, and, and I, I said, can you get, give me an example from your world of where brand is really important. And, and I define it as Jeff Bezos does, which is, you know, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Right. And he said, Chris, that's a no brainer. He said, your brand starts the minute you step on the grinder at Bud's. And it stays with you throughout your entire career in the teams. And it makes all the difference in the world. And, and, and I like that so much. And, and Robert, you can definitely expand on it from firsthand experience, but I, it is, it is just true. And, and, you know, having young kids right now, it's, it's, it's so funny, you know, telling them about how much your brand sticks with you, just even from a child level as well. And, and how that carries you downstream. I mean, the, the magic of social media, connecting people that maybe you never wanted to talk to again, but you end up talking to just because of social media now mm-hmm. and connected. You know, having someone reach out and say, I remember you as such a nice kid. I remember you. And I'm like, damn, 
brand, brand dumplings <laughs> with you a long time. I, I, and I was thrilled to hear that. Um, I thought it was very nice, but like, how long does that last? And so I, I, this one to me, for so many reasons, we think about people that, you know, and, and Andy, think about in sales and sales leadership, when you've had that rep that comes to you and they, they put their hands up and they go, nobody will help me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. say, oh, really? Why, why do you think that is? And, and come to find out they have a terrible brand internally. They right. didn't show up when they say they were going to show up. They didn't have good vision. They didn't set others up for success. And then you look at the other reps and everybody dives in. Everyone's trying to help. And yes, we should all try to help each other equally. But at the end of the day, your brand really matters. And so, you know, in talking with that first guy I was working with from the the foundation, I mean, he gave me example after example of this. And Robert, I don't know if you want to expand on that, but I, I love this one. Yeah. I mean, we have a saying or we had a saying in the teams that it's, you know, um, you know, team gear and then your own gear. And what I mean by that is we would always do the team tasks first. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. if it was three in the morning and everybody was cold and tired. You take care of the team gear first and then your own, and then you go home. And that follows you. And again, that started from day one, minute one, when you got to training, but it transcends through the years. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you took a guy that went through training in 2001 and paired him with a guy that went through training in 2014 or 2020. It does not matter. The foundation of that training, as far as your own brand and how you always put the team first and then yourself is what is ingrained in SEALs from the minute they get into training. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to your own brand, if you're not outwardly trying to help all of your friends to the left and right of you, you know, your brothers to your left and right of you, your reputation is starting to get tarnished from training immediately. And typically, to be honest with you guys, they usually, those types of folks go away. If you yeah, I was are. Gonna say. Easily because you need the team to, to keep, you know, to keep going forward day after day. So it's one of those really small, but super critical, uh, points. And that's why I loved it when Chris brought it to the table for everyone, because yes, your brand is you, but not necessarily just you, but the people around you and your team as well. And that's something that's been stressed from day one and it's transcended over the years, you know, decades among decades. And if I met a Vietnam seal, it would be the same thing. And so, Robert, you know, the work that you're doing with Whoop and on sales is, is, so how's that, you know, manifesting itself there for you? Well, that's interesting because for me, it's been a, it's been a journey. And before I was working at Whoop, I was working for another nonprofit and I was raising money uh, for that nonprofit. And I was raising money for Gold Star Children that lost a parent Mm -hmm. in the line of duty. So I went from (laughs) selling vacuum cleaners to being, you know, a SEAL to then, you know, going back into sales under the the veils of nonprofit, then moving over uh, to the whoop side. So I've had a lot of different flavors and and a lot of mentors along the way. And to be honest with you, I think sales in general, and I'm not saying this on the whoop side, meaning just, you know, the whoop team, but it's an art form. And if you don't spend time learning the art and talking to the people that have thousands of reps under your belt, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because, you know, a, a four week or a 30 day or 90 day training package of this is how you sell mm. um, doesn't translate. Because again, you know, similar to something that we've talked about in the past is what, what is influence or persuasion when it comes to making the sale? You know, how does that work? 
Mm-hmm. How are you presenting yourself as a brand? Do you, are you garnering trust? Are you coming off as salesy or sleazy? You know, all those things come into play and you need to read the room or read the person or read the customer right. in all of those situations. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so true. And I, this is, again, something else that I, I bring up in the public talks I do is, is you know, I always ask, is, you know, what's in terms of branding? I said, what's the one question a customer will never ask you, a buyer will never ask you as a salesperson? Any, any ideas? Oh, um, I'll I save don't. you the, I'll save yeah, you I don't, I don't know. <laughs> They'll never say, well, you know, Andy, I really, I really like your product, but you know, you're just not salesy enough. Could you be more salesy? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about it is, is, you know, this is what we hire and train people to be, right? Right. Be right. salesy. Oh yeah. Customer, customer doesn't want you to be salesy. So when you think about your brand, you sort of have to, you're left on your own to sort of uh, figure that out. Right, right. What what style, style of brand works for you if you are in sales? And I think there's not a lot of stuff out there talking about, hey, you need to be you. You know, just because this works for Chris or this works for Andy, it doesn't mean it's going to work for me because that's not me. I'm an individual and I'm coming to the table selling in a way that makes sense for me and, exactly. and the customer. Well, yeah. If well, yeah. If only we had more more sales leaders and managers that understood that, right? Is because <laughs> we are in this this phase of our profession where you know compliance is oftentimes to a process and methodology is favored over the individual becoming the best version of themselves. Mostly because you know managers don't want to spend the time coaching and doing things that because they're fearful of deviating from the process because fear they might fail. Right. And that also, you know, is a leadership problem that we all know about, we've all seen. And, um, you know, one of those things where it's unfortunate because if you're not willing to fail and at least fail in front of your team, what kind of leader are you? Yeah. Well, that's a brand issue right there, right? Because people exactly. won't trust, people won't trust that person. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And you said it best earlier, Andy, the, just the word human. I've heard that a couple of times and uh, mm-hmm. we, we're human beings. First and foremost, we're people, we have feelings, we have emotions. We can be vulnerable, come to find out. Um, yeah. But that is hard. That is very difficult. And I think this, you know, that that whole perspective right there says a lot about brand. And now I feel like more than ever, more than ever, having a really strong brand matters for so many reasons. And who you want to work for and who you're going to perform best with and who you're going to learn from looking at brand is, is really, really important. And, and again, you know, I, I'm using this in the sense of just a compare and contrast when I'm working with, with some of these individuals, you know, moving from the, the, um, special operations community. Mm-hmm. I, I, I live this fundamentally every day. I'm always trying to figure it out, but I'm always mindful of it and, and trying to, you know, authentically always show up as myself, but I'm looking at the team around me and thinking about how good of a job are they doing in representing us. And Mo talked about, you know, you're going out there representing the team us over the years, right? And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what area you're from, it's a brand and you're all attached to it. And, and it's the same for us, right? Our company and our organization, the people we worked with over the years. And I talked about my, you know, people from my childhood reaching out saying one thing or another, it's all connected. And I think, I think right now more than ever, this is a really important one to be mindful of. Yeah. And, and it starts with you as an individual, right? I mean, I, this is, yes. I'll just, you know, one thing I remember from my childhood and I, I forget how old I was. I was you know, preteen, but um, just remember my 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 dad saying. I think I remember what sort of started is we'd been at a restaurant, and the the waiter had undercharged, 
us. And mm-hmm. my dad saw that and corrected him and said, you know, you charged too little on the bill here and, you know, could you correct that and so on. And I remember asking him about it afterwards. And he's, his answer was really simple. He says, you know, when you, at the end of the day, he says, when, you, when, when you're dying, the only thing people remember about you is your character. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. I, yes. And that's, that's stuck with me, you know, throughout my entire life. Obviously, I'm <laughs> older now than he was when he told that to me. Um, but that's, that's where this, yeah, the, for me at least, the, you know, the human part of the brand really starts. And I think from a sales perspective as well, just bringing it back to sales is, you know, your level of comfort of being you as you sell. And I have to be honest with everybody listening is I probably wasn't comfortable being me as a salesperson when I first got out of the military, probably for the first 12 months. And then I realized, you know what, if I'm just, if I'm, if I'm going to pretend, why do this? I'm not going to pretend I'm going to be me because that's what, that's what works for me is be me and also sell. And after I gave myself the permission after 13 months, I remember it so clearly, you know, I'd been trying to emulate my mentor and I just said to myself, enough of trying to emulate somebody else, just be you and sell. That's when things start to connect and take off for me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think, and you maybe had an advantage. I mean, I compare myself with my 21-year-old self when I first started in sales. It it took longer (laughs) than 12 months (laughs) to get to that point. Uh, The advantage perhaps of being a little more mature and of, in terms of who you are, but um, so the third trait we'll jump onto is, is master problem solver. Another one of my my favorites, because um, I imagine that that in your life as a seal is no matter how well the missions are planned, uh, something goes wrong instantly, perhaps, and so you have to problem solve your way out of a situation. Yeah, it's one of those things where being that master problem solver, and I'm not saying SEALs are better problem solvers than anybody else, but what I will say is the level and depth that they go to when it comes to any problem set, it does not matter what happens in that real world world environment because they're so well prepared going back to the vision and Mm -hmm. having that strong brand and everybody is on the same page that when all hell breaks loose and you know a firefight you know ensues or whatever that may be the problem solving is almost uh poetic if you will i used to tell my guys when i was training them that there's nothing more beautiful than organized chaos and at a very deep level, that's what problem solving is. And we deal with that on the personal side, career side, and everything in between. There right. is nothing more beautiful than organized chaos because you're in your own mind trying to figure out a solution to the problem. And it all starts, again, going back to the very basics of how am I going to dig this six-foot hole in the sand with a paddle? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that that imagery of, of organized chaos because that, yeah, that's that's very descriptive of mm-hmm. a lot of sales in general. What do you think, Chris? I, I, I absolutely think so. And, you know, I, I, the other aspect of this, and there's there's really, if we're putting images out there to imagine for a moment, I, I'm a big fan of the documentary Free Solo with Alex Hahn. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and, and it, it is a nail biter and your palm oh, yeah. sweat and you watch this guy climbing El Capitan, you know, no ropes, no restraint, just goes up there and does it. It's awesome. But when you listen to him being interviewed and he describes how he prepared for that climb, 
he climbed that rock thousands of times using yep. ropes. Yes. Anticipating every fail point, knowing when things could possibly go wrong and what to do in the moment. So he looked genius like in the moment, but he had already worked that through in his head. You know, and I, I heard him on a 60 minutes interview at one point, and he said, if I lose my cool and I lose my calm and start to get nervous and get sweaty palms, something's got wildly wrong because I didn't prepare correctly. And and I, I think about that because again, thinking about the conversation I'm having with some of these gentlemen making the, the transition and much to what Robert was just talking about is problem solving a lot of times has to do with just preparing and anticipating failure and how to navigate around it mm -hmm. and every single moment along the way. And so master problem solvers, in my experience, um, do just that. And they look at the vision and they look at the intended outcome. And then they, they to the very best ability, and I think we'd all argue in our lives, we wish we had more time to do this. They try to branch out every potential fail that could happen and what we're going to do to get around it. And I think that that really becomes the foundation, that prep and planning and rehearsal becomes the foundation of, you know, why top performers are master problem solvers. Yeah, well, I think there's another element for me, which is that you assume nothing. Yeah. I mean, for me, in, in sales, it's like, yeah. yeah, I think part of the yeah. process, part of the problem is we're so driven by process and we think everything's so repeatable, it's like, yeah, you just can't assume it's going to be the same way. I mean, yeah, you've you've practiced, you've got certain competencies, but if you're not being mindful at each step of the way, then you're going to create more problems than than are necessary. Andy, I couldn't agree more with you on that. And how boring would sales be if every sale was the same exact thing over oh. and over again? It'd be <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yeah, I would have left it forty years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that I think that's so true. The the other aspect of this, and just trying to bring imagery to the surface for everybody listening is the idea of picturing a closed door. And Robert and I talk about this one a lot because mm -hmm. I look at this closed door and I see a boardroom and I'm thinking to myself at this closed door, just imagining one, mm -hmm. what preparation it's a boardroom, the CEOs in there, the CMOs in there, whomever. And we've got to get in there and we've got to give such an effective, compelling, persuasive presentation that they sign on the dotted line or they agree to partner with us or, or do whatever, right? whatever that objective is, because we've got a vision for it. But I look at that door and I think, what do we need to do to prepare going through that door? Who's got to be in the room with us? What happens if this E only says she has five minutes for the meeting? So there's all that <laughs> preparation that goes into it. But as I had this conversation with Robert, and I'll let you expand on it, you know, he was telling me about looking a little bit at a doorway, a closed door from sure. being in the teams, which is right. fascinating to hear in a second, but, but also about the idea of what did we learn when we went through that door and how did that translate downstream for the next time we had to go through a door? And I think that's important as master problem solvers are not only really good at problem solving for what they're about to do against their vision, but they learn from it and they communicate what they learned and what problems occurred so that next time they run into that problem, they don't hit it again. But do you want to expand on that, Robert, a little sure. bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the door and, and we'll just use, you know, the door in your house or it doesn't matter wherever you are listening to this, it's, it's, if you take a second look at the door frame. You have a couple basic things. You have, you know, you have your horizontal on the top and you got your mm -hmm. verticals going to the ground or to the floor. And then you have a couple, uh, you know, a couple doors have these uh, levers or if you will, and you have the hinges on the inside, you can't see them. 
and then you have the doorknob. Pretty simple, pretty basic, pretty universal across the board. Now, as a tactical individual going through the door, you know, Chris says, who's going to be on the other side of it? You know, is it the CEO? It, it doesn't matter who it is. In my world, you know, before I was doing what I'm doing now is, you know, there's somebody on the other side of that door that could potentially kill you. Bottom right. line. Right. And how do you approach that door? How do you put your hands on the actual doorknob? Is the door locked? Is it, is it unlocked? Is it going to squeak and alert the people on the other side of the room that I'm coming in? There's so many different what ifs going back to preparedness, if you will, when you approach the door. Now, there's a couple of ways that I can go through that door. I can go through it hard, fast with my team behind me and make a bunch of noise. Or what we learned from thousands of reps, does it make more sense for us to be slow, methodical, and slowly turn the door, door handle, creep in and see what's on the other side and then make the decision from there. And that's how we started approaching going up to every door is how do we take this door? Not every situation is different. And if we fall back on the framework that we know going through a door, what works, what doesn't, that gives us an advantage 90% of the time. Now, once we get through the threshold, once we cross the threshold of that door and after we read the room, then we can make that last 10%. But mm-hmm. all the work is done outside of the door before you cross that threshold because you're reading the door and you're attacking it the right way. Well, the, yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the things that, that brings to mind is, you know, I think about how so much of the sort of the approach to the door, you know, looking at it from a sales perspective here, is is dictated by the personality types that we bring in to execute this task. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, you know, if you read a, a job posting for, you know, a salesperson, oftentimes it has the sort of macho language, you know, hunter, you know, aggressive closer, which, you know, sort of this you know, acronym for, or not acronym, but, you know, substitute for the word, you know, saying the word like killer. And it's like, you know, none of it talks about what the buyer wants, right? Is, is you know, we want curious, <laughs> open-minded problem solvers. And that really dictates how you approach that door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I think there's so much we could <laughs> we could learn from that. I mean, I love the idea of approaching it slowly. You've got a framework, but you also know that, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. That last ten percent, which I think is so so valuable. Right, and um, Chris hit that too because you know you walk into the room and you think you're going to do a thirty minute pitch, and the CEO stands up and goes, "Hey, I got pushed. I got ten minutes. Go." That's that last ten percent. You better be ready for it. Yeah. Well, gosh, I've flown to Europe and had the oh, yeah. CEO tell me, "Yeah, I got five minutes." It's like. Hmm. You realize I just flew 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there. Been We've there. all been there, We've, right? We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite story in that regard is we were, this was years ago. This was with this satellite communications company. We were, had gotten approached by, uh, this is before the fall of the, the Berlin Walls. We had been approached by TASS, which was the Soviet news agency to sell them a satellite communication system so they could distribute uh, their newswire to various outlets around the world. And so we had cleared with you know, the FBI and State Department so we could go over and do it and had made a trip over and we'd moved the deal forward. And they said, 
okay, we're scheduling a time for you to come over. We're going to negotiate the contract. And this was a time if you went to Moscow, there weren't a lot of flights in and out. So you booked your flight. You weren't getting on an earlier flight if anything happened. And so I booked myself for a week coming in from London. And yeah, show up the first day for the negotiations. And something was happening internally, and they decided they weren't going to do it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so I was in... 1988 Moscow for uh, five days, <laughs> mining my own business with my KGB mm. minder with me. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, well, who who was following you during that time? Because you know oh, he was he was he, he was he was the driver. No, he was he was right there. Yeah, he was he was pretty open who he was. But uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty interesting situation. So, um, all right, so let's go to storyteller. Mm-hmm. And again, I like like this one as well because it works on so many levels. So, Chris, you wrote the best story always wins. So, mm-hmm. tell us about that. Yeah, if we if we think about really having someone respond to us and really hear what we have to say and really have it stick and have it gravitate, gotta have a great story that goes with it, and. You know, we do say, and something we say very much in my company a lot is that the best story always wins. And and can you paint a vision of success? And can you put the customer in the center of that vision of success authentically, uh, truly? And and are you going to help them deliver on whatever their objectives are and whatever it is they're trying to achieve? And have you bridged the gap on how you're going to help them do that? Mm-hmm. You got to be a really good storyteller in order to mm-hmm. do that. And and part of the way that you do that is you have to understand the context of your audience. And who are you speaking with? And what's going to resonate? Are you speaking the language of the customer that's relevant? And remember, when I'm talking about this trait, which is the fourth one, I'm sharing, you know, why storytelling matters so much in business. Um, But I also firmly believe that being a personal storyteller is important as well. And what I mean by that is the ability to talk about your values and what you stand for. And I'm going to go back to the word human that you Mm -hmm. use, Andy. Mm -hmm. But if you look at in a hiring scenario, someone that you're interviewing and you ask them, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. What are some of your values and what you stand for? And the person says, you know, I stand for my family. I stand for health. I stand for trust. And I stand for giving to others. And then you ask another person and you say, tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you stand for? And they're like, well, you know, my family's pretty cool and I want to take care of them. And you can see that they're thinking their way through it. Which person stands out more? (laughs) And it's fascinating. First of all, uh, one of my favorite questions, by the way, is just to, when I'm interviewing is just to, to go down that path of that. And I'm not asking anybody to fabricate a story about themselves personally, but it tells me a lot about their ability to tell a story. Now, sales is very much all about storytelling, painting that vision of success. Now, I'm going to tie it back to the SEAL Future Foundation. So when I'm doing some of this coaching and I'm working with the guys and I say, you know, tell me about a time you had to tell a story. Tell me about a time you had to negotiate something. What does that look like? And, you know, one of the guys I was working with, he was like, well, I'm not really sure. And we we started to unpack it a little bit about storytelling and, and having to negotiate something. We'll come to find out he actually had to negotiate peace on behalf of two tribal elders mm-hmm. and a local security force in three different languages and come to find out Pop-Tarts was the magic key to make everybody at ease at the table. And he also had to negotiate with the uh, attorneys internally to make sure that the peace package that he was helping put together among all these different armed factions was going to be cool and going to be good for the long-term health of the the country uh, right. in that local region. And, 
And so he actually came back with an amazing story. And that was pretty phenomenal. He had to negotiate that. And so I worked with him to really frame up that story in a way that was compelling and interesting because it is. It was just a matter of having the confidence to be a good storyteller about it. Well, you used the line in the presentation, which I think is, is powerful. You said to broker, talking from the SEALs perspective, to broker peace, we often have to use stories to describe a life without fear or danger. Yeah. And Robert, you and I had spoken about this last week when we were, yeah. were talking. Is, is you know, this is the thing I think it's so interesting and so uh, vital and so missing so often in sales is there's been this huge emphasis on storytelling but it's about telling stories that that illustrate something that's outside the customer right this is how something somebody similar to you did something similar to what you want to do but i'm remember reading this line from john steinbeck years ago is in east of eden actually the book is saying you know if the story is not about the listener they don't want to hear it Exactly. Right. People are basically exactly. interested in their own story. And so this is a story, and it's as you described it, Chris, early, just before us, this is the story we have to get adept at telling our customers is their story, their mm-hmm. vision, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's just not enough emphasis on on that. And I, every time I mention that in social the storytelling people always attack me. But um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, seven why would, stories. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't well, they? yeah, I mean, because people have written books, you know, X number of stories you need, to, every salesperson needs to be able to tell. And I say, well, you only need to be able to tell one story, and that's the customer story. And, and it's, that's what you guys are doing in negotiating with these tribal elders and so on, is you're telling their story, right? This, to be able to, this vision to be able to live in, in peace without fear or danger, that's their story. Right, right. No, absolutely. And, and there's so many versions of that type of environment where – a guy doesn't know that he told the master story and a, a culture or a village or a country is better off. And, you know, not to get political here, but it's just one of those things where storytelling is is so critical to everything we do. It's not just, the, you know, making the sale. How do, you, how do you build rapport with a customer? You don't just walk in and ask them to give you a million dollars. You have to sit down and tell a story. Well, mm-hmm. if it's not based on what the customer needs or you don't know who you're speaking to and you're just blah, blah, blahing about, you know, this random, st- it doesn't work that way. So it has to be, be hyper-focused when you, when you storytell and know who your customer is and know your audience. And, you know, one of the things that I found was on the sales side is, you know, be open and be vulnerable, be open and vulnerable about you. And maybe your product isn't 100% perfect and that's okay. Don't try and sell it that way if it's not. But from start to finish, you're a human, be vulnerable. Here's our technology or here's our, our widget, if you will. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Very much so. So question is, so how did you describe the situation when we spoke before about your thrust into negotiating you know, between uh, various groups? It's like, how did they train you on that? Wow, man. That's a great question. It there, <laughs> Yeah. A trial and error. I'll, I'll be honest with you. They're <laughs> a trial and error. And we, 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 and I mean, we, and I mean, this is across the board. Um, you know, we learn the hard way. And I, I think you have to learn that way because even in sales, and this is really applicable, you know, when let's just say an American goes overseas and tries to make a sale in Europe or Asia mm-hmm. or, or the Middle East, the process is completely different in every single culture. And I think 
that's where you don't really hear a lot of talk about is, okay, just because this worked in Europe, it doesn't mean the same approach is going to work in Asia. And either you got to find a guy that's very experienced and has a lot of reps under his or her belt uh, from that region and, and kind of compare notes, or you just got to learn the hard way by failing and failing quickly and, and doing it over again. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> that's exactly what you do. I mean, you know, we talk about you know, lack of training in certain things in sales. I mean, this idea of doing international business, which is, yeah, yeah, I, I was just thrown into the, the deep end of the swimming pool from the beginning on that. I mean, right. same here. And I mean, doesn't that just resonate, Andy, what, what yeah. Robert's talking about? I mean, like, you know, with our business backgrounds, I mean, same boat for me. I had to go to Tokyo and, and, and present to a Japanese CMO, zero training and nothing against, you know, any company. It's just a lot of times the frameworks for training wasn't there. Oh, and yeah. um, all those little cultural cues and all those little moments. I mean, there are some tough lessons learned along the way. <laughs> and yeah, so ironically, my life wasn't at risk going. Yeah, my life was not at risk either. I, well, yeah, my my wardrobe was Russia. at risk. My my wardrobe was at risk. So my first <laughs> exactly. international business trip. Yeah, it came about spur of the moment. I ended up taking over international sales at this one company and and oh had to short notice go off to Stockholm. And so I. Spent some time overseas and in high school and so on. So, but I hadn't traveled widely internationally other than to Japan and back. But um, so we fly to Stockholm, get in first thing in the morning, you know, go to a hotel for a couple hours, then going to meet with the CEO and the managing board of this this company. And is the actually a Swedish you know, national at the time nationally owned telecom company. And uh, <laughs> As where they live, they were working in this you know, classic old building in, in Stockholm and near the opera house. And we're walking over and as we're approaching the door with the guy that worked for me, is suddenly I felt the plops all over my shoulders and forehead and head. And about 10 pigeons had hit me as I walked in Ooh, the door oh. to this building for my first <laughs> international business meeting with the CEO of this company. It was like, okay. There's a message there. <laughs> so we were in the bathroom, cleaning myself off. I'd walk in. Yeah. They're like, what happened to you? Your pigeons uh, greeted me. Hello. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. You have to be prepared. Anyway. Um, all right. Let's jump on the last one because yeah. this great, great conversation we're having here is talking about gratitude. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I did love the expression from one of the team members is you don't confuse kindness with weakness. You know, it's, it's interesting because this one is, is close to home and this is a personal friend of mine. I won't mention his name here, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I, I live by in, in my own sales career now, because, you know, just because I have the sword and I know how to wield it doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, pull it out and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and whatnot. And I think when you become a veteran in the sales game, everybody has a, a version of their sword. Now, mine might be real or literal, whatever. Um, but, you know, don't confuse kindness with weakness. Because at the end of the day, you know, it takes a lot of guts, grit, call it whatever, when it comes to, to standing up and saying, hey, you know, no, this isn't the, the, the right way to go about this. Or I think more managers need to do this and, and fail. And all the things that we're talking about here. Right. Um, and it, it's just one of those things where, at the end of the day, you know, expressing that gratitude to the the people around you, to the people that work below you, in every every direction, you know, I found that to be you know one of the best civilian lessons that I got was 
being able to tell somebody, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for answering that question. I don't care if it's the janitor to the CEO. I don't care who it is, but being grateful every day and expressing your gratitude to others has gotten me farther than me, you know, unsheathing the sealed, if you, uh, sword, if you will, and and wielding it that way. Yeah. I think it's such a, such an important lesson. I mean, uh, current example, I'm a huge soccer fan. Liverpool is my team. And, big Jurgen Klopp fan and and what he insisted when he took over the team 5 years ago is is that the players had to know the names and basically the personal backgrounds of every employee for the club mm-hmm. and and they insisted on it because he said you know you can't do your job without people to sell tickets that you yep. know make the food you know all the way down and yeah, I just don't see enough of that um, where people acknowledge that they're part of a team, right? I mean, every time I, you know, I'm looking on LinkedIn and and hear these, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, or reading the the titles and the profiles, and it's like, yeah, you know, three time exit, uh, you know, seven time close, this much business. That's like, you that is part of a team. That didn't happen because of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's. That's something that's stressed again, going back to day one, week one, minute one, is you're not going to make it. And it does not matter if it's SEAL training or the corporate environment when it comes to sales. It is a team effort, 100% all the time. And if you're all rowing in the right direction, that means your your level of readiness, preparedness, and willingness is going to go a lot further. And at the end of the day, once you guys get through that dynamic task or dynamic tar- target, everybody should be looking at each other and saying thank you. Because it doesn't just take one, ever. Yeah, as well as job well done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. What's interesting about this one to me is I, you know, this is something I've been using to present, and I talk about gratitude, and I have so many. I had so many business examples of like, you know, why gratitude is important. It's and and to me, a lot of times, it's the small thank yous, right? It's the unexpected small thank yous to people that don't. Don't don't anticipate, and you got to be of course mm-hmm. authentic with it. But taking the time to call someone out for something small that they did that, you know, back to this team concept that moved everything forward. Um, and and I have tons of examples. And and you know, one of my favorite quotes that I always think about when it comes to gratitude is, you know, when you see something beautiful in someone, tell them. You know, it only takes a second to say, but for them, it could last a lifetime. And and we've all been there. We've had that moment where we're having a really bad day. And someone says a little thank you. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. You feel like you're walking on the moon. I mean, everything is great because you got acknowledged. And 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 so I could think of those examples and into what Robert was talking about. You know, this again, I use this as a, a framework for for working with some of the guys. And I, I was trying to think of, you know, how can I apply this? And and you know, the lesson I got out of it, not only as the um don't confuse kindness with weakness, but you know, if you think in terms of gratitude also means um, showing or, or showing up as being in service to others. Mm-hmm. And well, vets, members from the military community are all very much in service to others. They're all about Absolutely. giving back. And, and, and that became a great moment for me to really connect the dots. And, and one of the challenges, though, that I've, I, I would run into frequently and still do is very much along the lines of what Robert talked about. Team culture 
is so driven into team mindset, is so driven into the military culture, into vets, and especially the SEAL community I found. So getting someone to tell a story in terms of I, getting these guys to tell in terms of a success story where they did X can sometimes be a challenge because of that's not how you show up in the teams. You don't right. speak in terms of I. So one of the ways that I've, you know, that, that we have is, is, is the foundation that we, we've tried to bridge that gap and, and get a little more comfortable with it. And this very much has to do with storytelling as well as speak in terms of how you did something with the team that was in service to others. Because I was a part of this team, we work collectively to achieve mm-hmm. a vision. We had a strong brand with the local elders and we did it to help them find peace. And I was a part of that team. Now I'm speaking in terms of what I might've done in that process, but I'm also acknowledging team and how right. it service to others. But at the end of the day, it's really highlighting the importance of gratitude. And speaks to brand, right? I mean, think about this. This is last for a reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you think about, um, you know, the, the impact you had on, that person that reconnected with you from elementary school. Yep. Right? I mean, it always calls mine sort of the Maya Angelou statement. You know, people may not remember your name, but they'll remember how you made them feel. 100%. Rough paraphrase of that. And this was a person that, yeah, they remembered how you made them feel. Could not agree more. It's, this is, uh, of all of them, it's my my absolute favorite. Because I, I think as I get older and allegedly wiser, and I do use the word allegedly, um, gratitude's where it's at and saying thank you to others and trying to help one more person. I mean, that is, mm-hmm. that has come to find out kind of awesome, uh, really awesome. And, and I never really, uh, along my career personally, you know, I never really thought in those terms and, and, you know, as deeply, I've always liked to think of myself as, as showing good gratitude over the years, but the importance of it is not maybe what I realized to the degree that I had. And then when I got involved with the Seal Future Foundation, starting with these guys and thinking about how it's always about team and it's always about service to others, I was like, oh my God, like this really is the most powerful of these five. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, I love For it. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, gentlemen, we've run out of time, but um, if you could, may individually start uh, Mayor Robert and Chris says how we could connect with you. People want to connect with you. And if people want to learn more about SEAL's Future Foundation, how they might help. So on the F- SEAL Future Foundation, so, I can't even say it. On the <laughs> SEAL Future Foundation side, you guys can find us on all the social platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and also visit our website at www.sealff.org. That's sealff.org. And if you ever want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Robert Moeller. And uh, I'm the big happy guy with the grin on his face. There, that's me. So All right. that's, uh, that's how you can get in touch. All right. And Chris. Yeah. Uh, Chris Anthony, you can find me on LinkedIn. And I know you. we've already said what my name is. I'm sorry. Search Chris Anthony on LinkedIn. And you, <laughs> you can find me there. Uh, there's maybe a couple of others, but uh, you'll find me uh, listed under Salesforce and, and working with the SEAL Future Foundation. And I would just say this, though, too. Uh, please do reach out. First and foremost, reach out. And, and if you're a business owner, sales leader, anybody in this capacity, and you have some interest in the SEAL Future Foundation, maybe hiring some of these individuals, uh, want to help and coach and practice interview, want to donate, 
by all means, reach out to Robert and I. We, we really do need some help. It is a tough time in this economy right now, uh, in the world that we're facing. And um, there's a lot of uh, health care that goes to this community uh, that the foundation does. And I know we're talking about business here, but there's a lot of uh, care that is being affected because of the current state of the planet. Um, so if you want to help, nothing would make Robert or I happier than to hear from you. Um, or if we can help you in any other capacity, very, very willing to do it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, Chris, Robert, thank you very much for your time. We look forward to talking with you both again soon. Thanks so much, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Robert Mueller and Chris Anthony, for sharing their story with us today. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to investigate how you can become a mentor to former SEALs looking to transition into civilian life, if you'd like to support the mission of the SEAL Future Foundation, then please visit sealff.org. That's S-E-A-L-F-F dot org. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate it. So thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.